0: How different is Monty Williams' offensive system going to be from what we've seen in years past from the Detroit Pistons? We'll talk about that in today's episode of the Locked On Pistons podcast. You are Locked On Pistons, your daily Detroit Pistons podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Jenny Johnson with one What's the deal? Welcome back to another episode of the Locked On Pistons podcast. Per usual, I'm your host, Kuka Hill. You can find me over on Twitter, at Kuka Hill. I want to thank you guys for making Locked On Pistons your first listen of every single day. We're free and available on all your podcast platforms. If you haven't already, head to the YouTube channel at Locked On Pistons. Hit that subscribe button. Or leave us a five star review on whatever podcast platform you're listening to this on. That's another great way to support the podcast. And today's episode is brought to you by Prize Picks. First time users can receive 100% instant deposit match up to $100 with promo code Locked On. That's prizepicks.com. Use promo code Locked On. In today's episode, we'll talk about the expectations for this team now with Monty Williams at the head coach position. And then also a little bit later on as well, we'll talk about who is responsible, who is most responsible for Monty Williams ending up in Detroit um, but the first topic I want to talk about is going to be Monty's offensive system compared to what we've seen from the Detroit Pistons in the past and the one episode we recorded last week you guys know I was gone for a week I'm officially back um, and for those of you guys watching on YouTube um, you guys will see that along with my wife shaving her head I also had to shave my head so you guys get one look it is what it is, man. You feel me? I had to support the wife. Don't say nothing to me, man. But uh, last week, in the, la- in the last episode, I talked about how Monty's offense was was really... How, how, the offense that he built in Phoenix will help Detroit as well because they both will be built around two guards as their focal points. You had CP3 and D-Book in Phoenix, and now you got Cade and Ivy as the foundation in Detroit. So I feel like he was the perfect coach to really you know uh, empower them and get them to their max... A ceiling within an offense. So we talked about that a little bit in the last episode, but in the recent days, I've seen a lot of people talking about uh, Monty Williams' offense versus how Dwayne Casey ran his offense, and a lot of the talk was, you know, centered around this whole idea of a uh, half a second offense, which basically the idea is is that you're making quick decisions, you're you're reading the defense, you're you're processing the defense very quickly, the players on the court, they're not holding the ball, isolating too much, you're just quickly reading the ball and snapping it getting it going. Um, and a lot of people were saying, or, you know, a lot of people were saying that that's going to be fun to see in Detroit. And then there were some people saying that, you know, Dwayne Casey also tried to emphasize that it just didn't happen. So maybe it's just the personnel. Um, so I'm gonna bring some numbers to back up what, you know, what, what's going to be different between the Pistons offense, the Pistons offense and what Monty will be bringing to Detroit. So, Just this past season, I'm going to read these numbers again. I got these from Jack Kelly, who's over at Detroit Bad Boys, a writer over there. Definitely follow him on Twitter if you haven't already, or check out his work at Detroit Bad Boys. But he tweeted this out. The Pistons were 28th in passes per game this past year, 27th in assists, 28th in touches per game, 4th in average seconds per touch, 1st in dribbles per touch, and 28th in offensive rating. That matches all the eye tests. The Pistons did a lot of ISO basketball, not a lot of swinging, not a lot of, you know, um, creative offense it was kind of just everyone stood around and everyone isolated and took turns and that led to very disgusting basketball to watch and that's something while it's not as bad as that 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 idea that kind of offensive philosophy it's something that really has followed Dwayne Casey for a while if you go and talk to Raptors guys and you go and talk to people who followed the Raptors during Dwayne Casey's time they'll tell you that this was something that they that they didn't like watching in, in Toronto either. It was a lot of ISO. It was a lot of standing still. It was a lot of uh, one guy dribbling the ball. It was a lot of that. And I have numbers to bring it up. In 2015-16 with Toronto, they were 6th in seconds per touch. Third in dribbles per touch in 1617 with Toronto, they were second in seconds per touch and second in dribbles per touch. I'm not bringing up the numbers from 1718 where they actually shot up a little bit because that's the year that Dwayne Casey got fired for winning Coach of the Year because they had there was a lot of talk about someone on the staff bringing the new offense to the group and then that dude got elevated. So I'm not giving Dwayne Casey a lot of credit for that right there because again there are a lot of reports say. It wasn't his offense, and that's probably why Toronto moved on from him because they could get someone else to run the same type of offense, whatever, um, on their staff. So then let's go to his first year in Detroit because I know a lot of the argument is that these past few years, the Pistons haven't been good, which is fair, and their personal hasn't been great, which is fair. So let's go to Dwayne Casey's first year in Detroit where they actually were trying to be good and had Blake Griffin and, and you know, Reggie Jackson, Andre Drummond, etc., etc. With Detroit in eighteen nineteen, they were ninth in seconds per touch and ninth in dribbles per touch. So if you go throughout Dwayne Casey's recent history, that's just how his offenses have ran. It hasn't been a lot of movement. It hasn't been a lot of, you know, ball movement. It's been a lot of ISO basketball. It's been a lot of give your best player the ball and just let them create everything for you. It's been a lot of that. And then when someone else touches the ball, they do the same kind of thing. It's been a lot of that. Now, if you go over to Monty Williams, Let's go to the 2019-2020 season when he first joined the Phoenix Suns, and this is the year I believe this was the bubble year when they went down one like eight straight whatever in the bubble. Um, so average seconds per touch, they were 18th in the NBA. Average dribbles per touch, they were I believe no average dribbles per touch they were 18th, and then average seconds per touch they were 19th. Um, so not a lot of not a ton of dribbling, not a ton of holding onto the ball in 1920. Then they add CP3. They add CP3, and they don't go all the way to the top, but they end up with 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11. They end up 12th in the NBA in seconds per touch. And then in dribbles per touch, they're even lower. They are 15th, 16th in the NBA in average dribbles per touch in 2020, 2021. So what that tells me, and this is from watching the Phoenix Suns, and I've told you guys there's many videos on YouTube that I've watched that break down the, uh, the the Suns' offense with Monty. What this tells me is guys for Phoenix, they held onto the ball a lot. Or not a lot, but they held onto the ball a little bit. But not with the idea to go dribble and get their own basket. They do it to survey the defense, to read the defense, get their actions going. They let things develop. And outside of their two main guys, when they added CP and D-Book, those were really the only guys... Dribbling a ton. Everyone else is just surveying defense is not there. We swing, get it back to those guys, and they do the dribbling. That's what it seems like for if you look at these stats. And if you watch, if you watch some of these YouTube videos I've talked about you guys needing to go watch about Phoenix's offense, and if you just watch Phoenix over the last few years, that backs it up as well. The eye test you go to 21-22 season, you'll see Phoenix jumped up a little bit to actually not a little bit, they jumped up a lot in average seconds per touch, two-fifth in the NBA in average seconds per touch, and then they were sixth in average dribbles per touch. Obviously, this is the year after they made the finals. The year they made the finals of 2020-2021, they were towards towards the middle of the pack, like I just said to you guys. And then if you go to the 2022-2023 season, which was this past season for the Phoenix Suns, they go all the way back down to 13th in the NBA in average seconds per touch. And when an average dribbles per touch, they are 12th in the NBA. So I say all these stats to give you guys context to what I'm about to say. So you guys, I have numbers to back up what I'm saying. If you watch these videos, which I've told you guys to watch, or if you just watch Phoenix a lot over the past few years, Phoenix's offense, it's not, when they say a half second offense, they're not, he's, Monty Williams isn't literally saying catch the ball, shoot, pass, go immediately like like that. But the difference between that you're going to notice, I believe the biggest difference you'll notice is, with this offense with Monty and this offense with Dwayne Casey, it's going to be they're both still going to put the ball in their guys in their best guys' hands. So the Pistons are gonna have the ball in the hands of Kate a lot. They're gonna have the ball in the hands of Jane Ivey a lot. But it's because those guys are able to create for themselves and create for others. That's still going to be there. What's going to be different is the guys around them are not also going to be catching the ball, jab, jab dribble, dribble, Try to do their own thing. The guys around them need to be high processors. The guys around them need to be able to react to the advantages that Cade, Ivy, and heck, even Durin, who's a really good passer and playmaker, they'll be required to react to the advantages that those guys are creating, and they'll have to read the defense and make either the right pass attack a closeout, and then swing, attack the closeout, attack the gap, and then swing to the other side. Then the other side, you got the defense tilted. They attack, attack the gap, that kind of thing. That's how you get a good offense going. That's what Phoenix did a lot. They went to CP and D-book. They created advantages for the guys. They dribbled a lot. They, You know, you ran an offense and a lot of uh, – I, I feel like they ran a lot of horns action. They ran a lot of pick and rolls, double drag stuff in transition. They ran a lot of that stuff with their guards. They create advantages for each other. And then when they made kickouts, when they found other guys, those guys are not holding the ball ISO. And those guys are attacking closeouts, either shooting the ball, attacking closeouts, getting into the gap. Once they attract a defense, then they are also swinging to the next side. Then that guy attacking the gap, attacking closeouts, shooting it or attacking the gap, swinging it. It's just constant movement. All five guys are involved in the offense. That doesn't involve ISO basketball from each player on the floor, which is what you've seen from the Pistons for a long time. And it's something that the that it seems like, according to the numbers, and if you talk to a lot of Raptors people, it's, so, it's stuff that Casey's offense just goes to doing because there's not a lot of creativity to it and there's not a ton of structure to it. So that's going to be the biggest difference I believe you'll see immediately. Yeah, Cade's still going to have the ball in his hands a lot. Obviously, you want that. Ivy's going to have the ball in his hands a lot. Obviously, you want that. But the guys around them, it's not going to be no more isoing a ton from those guys when you kick out to them. It's not going to be a lot of, you know, you need to get the right personnel to do it, but it's going to be emphasized that guys attack close attack the gap, and get other guys' shots or get yourself shots around the rim off the advantages your players are making. And I think that's going to be the biggest difference you'll notice. And it's something that Monty did a really good job of doing in Phoenix. And when they were at their best, and when they made the NBA Finals, they were not dribbling a lot. There was not a lot of holding the ball at all. They were towards the back half of the NBA in it. So that's when they were at their peak. Obviously, when you add a high-usage guy like CP3, you have high-usage guys like that who create for each other. CP3 obviously likes the ball in his hand so he can create for others. Your dribbles and touches uh, per second is going to go up a little bit. But nonetheless, the stuff around there, like I told you guys, the players around them, that's the difference. That's the difference of how they play, where you're putting them, the kind of areas you want them in and what you're emphasizing on them to try to do and take advantage of off of the gravity of your best players. That's going to be what you notice differently with the Pistons next season, I believe, with Monty Williams as the head coach now of the Detroit Pistons. Let me know in the comment section down below how you guys feel about that, or you can let me know over on Twitter. Again, I'm going to tell you guys, please check out those YouTube videos. Just look up Phoenix Suns offense. And just There's like six or seven that I've watched. They do a really good job of breaking down the kind of offenses they ran, their favorite sets, Monty's favorite sets, etc. So just watch those, or just go talk to some Phoenix guys. Um, I'm sure they can tell you some stuff too. Or you can just watch some... Uh, past Phoenix games too. But let me know what you guys think. Comment section down below or over on Twitter at Cuckoo Hill. When we come back, we're going to talk about the expectations. Have they changed for the Detroit Pistons next season? We'll talk about that when we come back. But first, I've got to tell you guys about one of our sponsors. This one, I've got to tell you guys a little bit about Price Picks. Every day of the NBA Finals, one prize Picks user will win a chance at becoming a millionaire. One entry placed after 8 a.m. Eastern time will be randomly selected each day. Whoever placed that entry will be given a six-pick flex with the following payouts. Six correct picks, $1 million. Five correct picks, $80,000. Four correct picks, $16,000. Full details can be found at prizepicks.com million. You must opt in at this link to be eligible for the million-dollar entry. Once you opt in, all you have to do is play the game like normal and you could be the lucky winner. So how do you play with prize picks? Well, you pick two to six players to see if they score more or less than their prize picks projection, and you can win up to 25 times your money on any entry. No competing against other people it's just you versus the projections available. Prize picks offers projections on any sport that you watch. This includes NBA, NFL, MLB, NHL, PGA, college football, men's college basketball, women's college basketball, soccer, WNBA, eSports. I'm telling you, it has everything at prize picks. I promise everything. Entries can be made in 60 seconds or less. It's just that easy. Safe and fast withdrawals currently operational over 30 states and Canada. Download the Price Picks app or go to pricepicks.com to sign up and play daily fantasy sports today. First-time users can receive 100% instant deposit match up to $100 with promo code LOCKEDON. If you deposit $100, Price Picks will give you $100. If you deposit $50, Price Picks will give you $50. Don't forget to enter promo code LOCKEDON at sign up for an instant deposit match up to $100 with Price Picks. So I want to thank you guys again for making Locked On Pistons your first listen of every single day. We're free and available on all your podcast platforms. If you haven't already, head to the YouTube channel at Locked On Pistons. Hit that subscribe button or leave us a five-star review on whatever podcast platform you're listening to us on. That's another great way to support the podcast. Um, I'm really excited, guys. I'm really excited to see Monty Williams um, coach this team next year. I'm really excited to see how the rest of the offense goes, or not offense, how the rest of the offseason goes. I'm really excited for that. Um, but I really do. We're gonna probably talk about this obviously a lot for the rest of the offseason with the new head coach. But and like I said, it's not gonna be the first time I say this, but or last time I say this. But Monty's gonna do great things for the Pistons guards, man. I, I really He's gonna do such great things for the the guards, especially Kate and Ivy. He knows exactly how to empower. Exactly how to put them in his guards in the best spot possible, especially when they're like your best players, you want to run through them. He's gonna do a great job of it. The Pistons need to help him with personnel, which I think they will this offseason. Provide him with spacers, provide him with uh, guys who are high processors, guys who have a great feel for the bat for the game, and and defenders on the wing. Um, even more so than just shooters. I, I feel like if you had to put like a list of things, and we'll get to the expectations in a second. I just want to say this real quick. In terms of like the list of things, I believe, and we'll talk about this future in a future episode a little bit more in depth, it's like, number one, high IQ and high high level feel, high IQ and high processors, number two, spacing, and then number three, defense on the wings. But even if a guy can't shoot as well, if they have high feel and process the game very quickly around Cade and Ivy in this offense, that even that will really, really help this team. Really, really help. So... Um, I'm really interested. The Pistons have some of those guys. Cade, Ivy are good guys with that. Um, Livers is really good, I feel like, with that off-ball-wise. He knows how to play. He has a nice feel for the game. Even Killian. Killian has a good feel for the game. If he can develop his skills even more from last year, he has really nice feel for the game, knows how to play the right way. So they have some guys on the team that have that already, but you need to add a lot more, especially on the Wings um, especially if they're going to be receiving these kickouts and be asked to make reads off the advantages the Pistons are creating for them with Caden Ivy, that that should be at the top of the list for the Pistons. offseason. I think they're going to do it. Um, but anyways, what's the expectations for the Pistons next season? Have they changed with Monty Williams? So I don't think they've changed after hiring Monty Williams. I don't. I think whatever expectations this front office, whatever expectations ownership front office, uh, coaching staff, you know, even though the coaching staffs different, obviously. Uh, but like whatever the expectations were before Monty, I feel like they're probably going to be the exact same even after hiring him. And the reason why I feel this way is because they gave this dude a six-year contract worth seventy-eight point five million dollars, and I, if the if the reports are correct, there's a seventh and eighth-year option on there, and the deal can get up to a hundred million dollars. So this is this could end up being. An eight-year contract. You are not giving that long of a contract to a dude if you are expecting immediate results like that. Because if you are, you don't want to give a dude that kind of long-term contract. Because then, if he doesn't meet those those expectations that you want immediately, you have to move. You want to move on from him. You'll fire him, and you don't want to have to fire a dude with seven, six years left on his contract. You got to pay him. That's why you see most coaches get shorter deals if that's what you you want. the the coaches that usually get like the rebuilding teams or the young teams or the bad teams, they get promised a long runway. They have longer term contracts. If you want a guy, you're bringing in a guy that you want, you know, you want to see results instantly. You want to see some wins instantly. You need to see him play. You need to see him coach really well instantly with this roster. You're not getting an eight year contract, six year contract worth that much money because if they have to move on after two years because you're not getting it done, they don't want to be stuck for that type of money. So, since due to the contract, and and the contract is a big thing because they, the, I'm going to bring up the roster soon, but technically, if they really wanted to, they could move off the roster and try to get a different, like win now one, um, even though that wouldn't make sense. But technically, they could just move the roster around and try to go more veteran. Um, but the contract's the biggest thing. The contract is the biggest reason why I don't believe their expectations have changed off of wherever they were next season. Um, and then also the roster. The, the roster is extremely, extremely young. And a lot of their guys are just not ready to win right now at a high level. A lot of these guys can be good for their age. They can show improvement for their age. But when it comes to actually contributing to NBA, not just your age, but NBA winning basketball, they're not ready yet. These guys are younger than 21 years old. Durin is, was just the youngest player in the NBA this past season. Cade is entering really his second season. He missed the entirety of his second season. He, it's likely that he's not going to be ready to carry that type of load for a team to get them to the playoffs, like these, their team, their core is just not ready yet. They're in all of them. If you take away Cage lap this past season for K since he missed basically all of it, their three-man core are all entering their second seasons. You're not ready in year two at 21 years old, 20, 21 years old. During I think you're gonna be 19 next season. So 19, 20, 21 years old in your second year to do oh. We're going wins. We're going right now. We're pushing for playoffs. We need to have that kind of success. You better be ready because if you're not, we're moving on from you. Like, that's just not realistic. So, I think both of those things combined, their expectations next year are probably not playoffs. I do think their expectations next year to try to double this last year's win total, which was 17. They probably want to be hovering around 33, 34, 35 wins, which I do think is doable, which is basically asking them to be this year's Orlando Magic, where they win around 33, 34 games. They're fighting for the play in. You see improvement from all their guys, and everyone across the league is really high in the Orlando Magic because despite the fact they didn't make the play in, despite the fact they only won, they didn't win 500% of their games. The fact they didn't do those things, you still saw improvement from all their young guys. You see their future. You see their foundation. You see their vision. You know what their identity is. Because of all that, they established those things. And you, get, you see believers of their players, of their young core developing. Everyone's high in their Orlando Magic. Everyone thinks they're going to do great things. Their core is amazing. Everyone loves them. That's basically what the Pistons' expectation is. For next year. That's what you want to be able to do. You want to be able to build a foundation. You want to be able to uh, to to build a vision. Let everyone see the vision. See the improvement of your young core. Build that young core. And really stamp it down that this is our young core. They showed this improvement. And we're building around these guys. And get buy-in from the fans. Get buy-in from the league. Get buy-in from everyone watching the Pistons. That hey, they're not going to do anything this year. They're not going to make the playoffs this year. But everyone sees that vision. Everyone sees that they're coming. Give them a few years, and they're going to be here because this, what they're building, you see the foundation, you see the vision, you see the core, and they're ready. So I think that's the expectation before they hired Monty, and I think the contract all but confirms that that probably is still the the idea or the expectations after hiring Monty, but that's just my opinion basing off the things I'm looking at. So let me know what you guys think about that. Do you guys agree with me, disagree with me? Let me know in the comment section down below or over on Twitter, at Kuka When we come back, I want to talk about who do we believe is most responsible for getting Monty Williams in Detroit. We'll talk about that when we come back. But first, you guys got to hear from some of our lovely sponsors. So I want to thank you guys again for making Lockdown Pistons your first listen of every single day. We're free and available on all your podcast platforms. If you haven't already, head to the YouTube channel at Locked On Pistons. Hit that subscribe button or leave us a five-star review. on whatever podcast platform you're listening to this on, that's another great way to support the podcast. So, Monty Williams is the new Pistons head coach, six-year contract, potentially an eight-year contract if reports are correct. Uh, it could be worth up to hundred a hundred million dollars, but right now, six years, seventy-eight point five million dollars. He's going to be going to be the Detroit Pistons head coach for quite a while, quite a while. Who is most responsible for this? Who got Monty to come to Detroit? Who should Pistons fans be thanking the most for getting Monty Williams on their staff instead of, or on as their head coach instead of? Kevin Ollie, who ended up as an assistant coach with Brooklyn. Or Charles Lee, who I believe he's still in the running for a head coaching job, but it looks like he's not going to become a head coach this offseason. Or a Jaron Collins, who's not going to become a head coach this offseason. Who 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 do who should Pistons fans thank the most for going and getting a guy who has won 50 games multiple times the past few years, who has made the NBA Finals as recently as, I believe now it's two years ago? Technic- is it technically two years now? I think it's technically three seasons ago. You guys get 2021. You guys get it. Two, three years ago. However, you guys want to look at it, I believe. Um, That's the guy they went out and got. A guy who won coach of the year over the last few years. That's who they went and got. Who should they think the most? Who should they look to as most responsible for it? In my opinion, I think it's Tom Gores. Now, I will say this. Troy Weaver obviously plays a big part in it, too. Because Monty Williams and him are both from D.M.V. area, they both graduated high school around the same time. They have ties going back to O.K.C. Apparently, they are close. Apparently, they are friends. Um, I don't want to say close. Let me say just friends. I don't know. I, like I don't know Troy Weaver, but reports say that they are friends. So Weaver's connection with Monty definitely helped. One hundred percent, it helped, and it probably made it a little bit more of an attracting situation because you have your boy up in the front office. So Troy Weaver definitely plays a big part. However, I still give Tom Gores the biggest praise and the biggest responsibility for or most responsibility for it, because according to reports, according to the athletic article, Monty told them no at first with Weaver, told Weaver no at first, and they were ready to move on to the next, next guys. And Tom Gores said, now how about we go back to Monty again? How about we try to do this one more time? And Tom Gores flew Monty out to California? Flew him to, he came and sat in his living room, met with his family, gave him the best pitch he could, and emptied the checkbook. Literally gave him the blank check. He paid him the highest amount of any head coach in NBA history. Tom Gores did exactly what every fan of their basketball team wants their owner to do. And I will say this. Tom Gores, some of the stuff he does outside the Pistons basketball, some of his investments, all that, not commenting on it. Obviously, some of those things, we know what we're talking about. Not great things. I'm not commenting on Tom Gores, the person. I don't know Tom Gores. There's stories about him. I'm sure a lot of you guys know some of the stories that have been written. Um, I'm not commenting on him as the person. Don't care. Him as the Pistons owner, though. I honestly believe he's not a bad owner. I honestly think he's actually a pretty good one. He puts the money where his mouth is when you want him to, when he needs to, when he's asked to. He is not afraid to put the money where his mouth is, and he clearly wants this team to be to be good. He wants the Pistons to win. He's not like other owners, it seems like, that don't care about the team, that are just in it for the money investment, or to make money off of them, and they don't care about the team's success. Tom Gores wants this team to be good. In 2014, when they needed a head coach, he went out, emptied out his checkbook for Stan Van Gutt. He got a big name, emptied out his money, put his money where his mouth was. In 2018, went and got Dwayne Casey, where Dwayne Casey could have potentially just out another year, kind of like Monty Williams. Was going to sit out a year, according to reports. Wasn't going to take the Pistons' job. But Tom Gores convinced him and paid him a lot of money to come coach the Pistons. Again, Empty out the checkbook, convinced him to come coach. Put the money where his mouth was. Now Monty Williams. Monty Williams tells him no at first. Was going to sit out. The front office is ready to move on to the next candidates. And Tom Gores said, no, I think I can do get this done. I want Monty. I'll pay for it. And not only did he open up the checkbook, he literally made him the highest paid coach in the NBA history. When he wants a guy, when he thinks this guy is the best for the Pistons, when the front office believes, hey, this is the best thing for us, he puts his money where his mouth is. And when this team is good, when this team is going to be competing, which we've seen before, really, when they've tried, when he's put money out there, they've spent money. They haven't been afraid to try to spend money. It didn't work, but they spent money. When this team is good, when this young core is ready, there's nothing that Tom Gores hasn't shown that they would be afraid to go into the tax. Now, I know the new CBA changes things a little bit. I'm not the expert on the CBA yet, the new one coming out. I know it changes how far you can go into the tax and how you know you can't just buy a team anymore, really. So um, we'll talk about that probably later on in the offseason with the cap expert. I know it changes a little bit, but still, you can spend money. And there's nothing that has happened that makes me believe that Tom Gores will not spend money when this team is ready to win and do what it needs, what it takes from the financial side of things, to get players on this team to win. Not worried about it. Not concerned about it. Everything tells me that he'd do it. And the fact that he went out like this, just like he did for Stan Van Gundy, just like he did for Dwayne Casey. He went out, made it happen, put his money where his mouth is, and did exactly what most people want their owners to do. Again, I want to make this clear. I'm not commenting on Tom Gore as the person. Not commenting on Tom Gore's and his other investments. But as owner of the Detroit Pistons, he has done what you want your owner to do. Mostly. Put the money where his mouth is and spend money when you want him to. And because of that, because of his willingness to spend money and not be, you know, what's the right word I'm looking for? Stingy with his money, I guess, as an owner. And not care for the like winning part of the team. Because of that, the Pistons now have Monty Williams as their head coach where they could have ended up with Kevin Ollie. So, I credit Tom Gores. I give credit to Troy Weaver, too, but I give more credit to Tom Gores. I'm not going to lie to you. So, that's how I feel about it. But, if you guys disagree with me, let me know in the comment section down below or over on Twitter, at Hill. That's all I've got for you guys today. Final time, I'll do it. Thank you guys, all of you, for your support for me and my wife. The support has been crazy. Our GoFundMe hit 14,000, and a lot of you guys, a ton of you guys donated, all of you guys who did, I can't believe that that much. We turned it off because we don't want to take... That's more than enough for us. But like, thank you guys so much. And all the kind words and thoughts and prayers you guys have sent me and my wife. It's just been, thank you guys so much. It, it seriously has helped this so, so much. So this will be the last time I bring it up. I want to wait to the end of the podcast to do it. Thank you guys a ton, man. You guys are great. And I'm, I'm really happy about the community that we've all built together. That, you know, we look out for each other like that. So it, it I appreciate you guys a ton. So... Thank you guys for making Lockdown Pistons your first listen of every single day. Hit that subscribe button to the YouTube channel. Leave us a five-star review on whatever podcast platform you're listening to this on. And Until next time, I'll see you guys later. Stay safe. Enjoy these finals. Till next time, peace out.